Yo, hey everyone, it's Adrienne here. I hope you're all having a great start to the week. Today's episode, I am joined by Chloe Brotheridge. Chloe is a hypnotherapist, a coach, and an author. And we talk today about hypnotherapy, about anxiety, intuition, how to trust and listen to yourself. We talk about building confidence, how we can practice confidence, and also people-pleasing, what it is, why we do it, and how we can all learn to start saying no. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker, and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers, and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate, and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Chloe, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I've been looking forward to this episode. And, you know, so for anyone who doesn't know much about you and the work that you do, Chloe is a hypnotherapist, a coach, an author of The Anxiety Solution and The Confidence Solution. So for the listeners, Chloe, could you just kick off and tell us a little bit about the work that you do and also what drew you to to doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I hypnotise people, mainly, that's my main job, and I specialise in helping people with, as you said, anxiety and confidence, and like a lot of people, the reason I got into this work is because that's what I was struggling with. So from being a teenager, really struggling with not being able to switch off my brain, having panic attacks where I thought I was dying and would be begging to go to A&E you know, crippling social anxiety that made it really difficult for me to just be be myself with people. And it seemed to take a long time for me to to get help for this. It wasn't until I was about 25 when I, it kind of dawned on me that actually maybe this was something that I could get help with, something that could change. I think, and I know a lot of people that struggle with anxiety feel this, that, you know, no one can help me. No one's ever felt the way that I do. I'm this kind of special, unique case of you know, no one understands and there's, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. But of course, you know, it's something that so, so many people experience, you know, 25% of us are feeling anxious all or most of the time. And so, yeah, at about 25, I started to, you know, dabble with different types of therapy. I discovered hypnotherapy recordings. I'm sure it was Paul McKenna or something or some kind of very early app that I downloaded and found that it was quite helpful. And so, yeah, I, I retrained as a, as a hypnotherapist around that time. And yeah, over the last 10 years, I've been helping people with the sorts of things that I was struggling with. And um, yeah, so I do that with my books and courses and my podcast as well. Yeah, well, there's two things I, I want to talk about the anxiety piece. But first, for anyone listening, myself included, who might not know anything about hypnotherapy, like I really don't know what it is, what it isn't. I think when I think of hypnotherapy, I think of, you know, TV shows in the 90s or where they would say to somebody you know click your fingers and then they're asleep and then they click their fingers and they're no longer afraid of spiders or you know what is hypnotherapy and why is it uh, why is it such a useful tool yeah it does have a a weird reputation and we think of people on the stage kind of biting into an onion thinking it's an apple and that sort of thing but and I mean I suppose that that does show the power of it you know we've all probably either seen a stage show or seen 
things on the telly where we can see that it's obviously a powerful thing. It's about getting the subconscious mind where the majority of our thoughts and feelings and our behaviors are originating from to become more receptive. So all hypnotherapy is, is it's getting into a deeper state of mind. You feel relaxed, you feel a bit daydreamy, um, your mind focuses, but your body gets really relaxed. And it allows the conscious part of the mind that's always thinking and judging and uh, analyzing things to, to quieten down and to almost go offline so that the deeper part of your mind that controls you know, your deeper thoughts, your beliefs about yourself and the world, your habits, it allows that part of the mind to become more receptive. So we, we become more open, more suggestible, more receptive to ideas that are going to help us and instilling different behaviors and habits. So yeah, it has a weird reputation, but it's actually a really powerful way to, mm. to make changes. And it works really well for anxiety because anxiety is not something that we can consciously control very often. It, it comes from the body and it comes from the subconscious. And is it safe to do? Because again, like you say about the reputation, I think I've certainly heard people say, you know, in the past that hypnotherapy, it kind of I don't know that they would be very wary, you know, who is the person who's doing the therapy for you? And like, what do you, you know, like that kind of idea of not having complete control over your mind or your thoughts and, and that quite being quite daunting, actually. So, yeah, is it is it safe to do hypnotherapy? How do you know that the, the hypnotherapy that you're doing is right for you? That is, I think, the number one concern that people have that they're going to lose control. But but we don't lose control. Actually, you know, I think some, some people worry, like I do all my hypnotherapy on, online now. People worry, what if the internet cuts mm. out? Will I get stuck in, in hypnosis or something? But absolutely <laughs> not. Just, yeah, it doesn't work like that. We can come out of it anytime and we are in control. But I think it is important to to find a therapist that has training. You know, it's one of those professions where there are some characters that maybe do a weekend course and you know, set themselves up as a hypnotherapist. So you definitely want someone that's done a proper training and uh, someone that you can trust and open up to. But that's the same with, I think, any type of therapy, really. It's important that you trust your your therapist and they have, you know, good, proper training. But yeah, you can't lose control. You can't lose control. Um, and yeah, you can't get stuck in hypnosis either. Good to know. <laughs> so as I said, I wanted to talk about anxiety. And I think, you know, the way I see it is that every emotion serves a purpose, but when it comes to anxiety, I feel like it's always just, yeah, spoken about in a very negative way. So like, if you're feeling anxious, if you suffer from anxiety, and obviously, of course, I know it's a spectrum of emotions. So if it's debilitating for you, or if it's impacting you in a negative way and, and, and impacting your life, then of course, that's not a good thing. But when does anxiety serve a purpose when is it potentially good for us because as i said all emotions all human emotions whether that's anger jealousy um passion all of these things i think have a good and a bad to them so yeah how can we spot the difference between when anxiety is maybe helpful when it's not and how can we learn to manage anxiety so that it doesn't overwhelm us yeah that's such a good question i think i mean anxiety is just fear really it's just fear that is prolonged that is quite often directed in unhelpful ways or it's yeah being triggered for situations where it's not that helpful but of course fear is a very useful emotion that has helped us to survive as a species you know we couldn't we wouldn't be here without fear and yeah I love that when you talk about knowing that all emotions are, are helpful and I, I like to think about anxiety as being a friend rather than 
an enemy that we need to try and squish or get rid of or distract ourselves from or numb ourselves from because anxiety is going to be showing up to teach you something or to to get your attention about something or it's telling you that this needs to be healed you know there's something from the past that you haven't looked at that is kind of wanting your attention and wanting to be healed and processed so I think it is really helpful to think about anxiety as being a friend and ask ourselves what is this showing me you know do I need to make a change in my life you know what's going on in my relationships is there something really unhealthy that needs to be looked at and anxiety is coming up to show me this um or do I need to take care of myself more or change change some kind of habit so I think if we can look at it from that perspective you know there can be a lot that we can learn um obviously it it can be difficult to think about it in that way because anxiety can just be so debilitating or frustrating or sometimes we can think that it's just there for no reason but very often that you know there is a reason why it's there I think um you know there are obviously genetic factors that can come into play but there's a lot that we can do in terms of making changes and you know working on ourselves that can that can impact our anxiety so given the last year and actually it's longer than a year now isn't it the pandemic and you know I think anxiety is probably just something that everybody has felt pretty much all the time you know there's so much right now to be worried about I guess you know whether it's schooling whether it was actually the virus itself and the impact if you were to to get it or if your parents were to get it or grandparents now I think you know a lot of people have anxiety about the vaccine and it's almost like before maybe people's worries or anxiety would be kind of a personal thing but now it definitely feels like more of a shared global experience that we're all kind of in but everybody's got it kind of different so for anyone who's yeah thinking about all the madness that's going on right now in terms of the change in the world and in their life what would your advice be to them when it comes to anxiety yeah I think this past year or over a year as you said has triggered our dislike of uncertainty and as humans Mm. you know uncertainty is just something that we don't like it's linked to our survival at a deep level we want to know that we can get everything that we need and if we don't have that I think we might go into overthinking future scenarios, trying to predict what's going to happen, trying to, you know, playing out things in our minds. Um, and we can feel quite unsafe. And I think trying to find things that help you to feel safe and help you to feel comforted and secure and stable is is so, so important when when things can feel out of control in our daily lives. So having a really good routine, you know, talking to people about how you're feeling, having some kind of technique that you use, whether that is exercise, whether it's meditation, breathing, yoga, listening to ASMR videos, whatever it is, to help yourself to feel safe and to send your nervous system a message of safety. I think that's what so many of us need right now. And it's going to look different for everyone. I don't don't think there's a one-size-fits-all kind of approach for, Mm. for anxiety. I actually think... The best thing is that we can have some kind of a toolkit of different tools that we you know, can pick and choose from and, and utilise different things. But I think we all need something in, yeah. in this day and age to counteract the, you know, the news every day, something awful is happening and yeah. the, the kind of the fast pace of life and social media and all the things that we're, we're juggling. I think having having some kind of toolkit of things that help you to feel safe and secure and calm your nervous system down is really important. 
Yeah, I mean, the routine thing that you mentioned is definitely a big one for me. And I think, and and especially having a young child, you know, for kids, they really, I think they, they like routine and they thrive in that kind of, as you say, uncertainty. It's like, well, what's going on and what's going to happen today, tomorrow? You know, but I think having a routine, even if it's just, yeah, a morning routine or like daily things that you kind of come back to throughout the day, that's definitely been something that's helped me. Um, and also, Chloe, I wanted to talk to you about intuition. So when it comes to many of the topics that you discuss in your book, such as confidence, self-worth, your values, doing meaningful work, the word intuition, I think it comes up a lot. And sometimes people don't really know, you know, so people say, listen to that inner voice and listen to your intuition. But if you don't feel like you're connected to that or it doesn't resonate with you, how can you start to, yeah, I guess, tap into trusting yourself and and listening to your intuition? Yeah, one of the things that I hear a lot from people is trying to find the distinction between fear and intuition. Because a lot of us, particularly if we're warriors, we're anxious, we can get an inner sense, a very strong sense inside that something is dangerous or something's the wrong decision. And actually, we might think it's our intuition, but it's actually fear. And that fear can mean that we end up avoiding situations or not getting involved with things that could be really good for us or you know whenever we're making a decision based on fear that's that's not usually the right choice for us I mean so in some situations there are dangerous things which we need fear to help us to to move away from but in a lot of situations in our day-to-day life for the majority of us you know fear fear has an effect of holding us back and and meaning that we don't live our lives to the full and we don't enjoy things to the full so Mm. I once heard someone say that fear shouts and intuition whispers so if you're getting a really Mm. strong shouty kind of panicky internal feeling about something chances are that's fear speaking and if you get that kind of more Mm. subtle gentle kind of nudge or yeah, a quieter whisper of something, you know, perhaps that's more likely to be your intuition. So, you know, if you're you're overthinking something and the, the thoughts are really loud and shouty and you're kind of going round and round panicking, mm. that's probably not your intuition talking. That's fear, that's overthinking, that's worrying. So can you do something whereby you're, um, I don't know, getting out into nature, having a bath, doing some vigorous exercise, calming that fear down, burning off the adrenaline, quieting your mind down, and then seeing what kind of answers you get. Maybe journaling about um, the, the thing you want an answer to. Or, you know, I quite like doing this thing of asking myself a question before going to sleep and just asking my subconscious mind to to find a solution for it as I'm asleep. and And seeing, you know... The mind loves to find solutions and, you know, work things over when we're asleep. And so can ask ourselves a question and see what see what the subconscious comes up with in the morning. So, yeah, that's something that I like to do to tune into to, to something deeper. I really like that as well, because when you're saying ask my subconscious a question, I feel like in a way you're correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you're giving away the kind of control and the power. You're just saying, let me ask this question and see what happens as opposed to maybe thinking when people lay in bed going over like every different scenario like I could do this I could do this I could do this what would be the outcome if I did this what about that overthinking what if this happened what if that happened worst case scenario planning and actually they're trying to force themselves to find the answers whereas I really like the idea that you just ask the question and go to sleep yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think it's good to 
to give over some of that control sometimes because overthinking actually we think we think that it's useful we think that we're getting to, to good solutions by overthinking but actually when we're in a fearful state the the frontal cortex gets less blood flow the amygdala takes over and we can't actually think that clearly and we can't make decisions as easily so yeah being in a calmer state and kind of giving over some of that control is actually going to help us to come to to better solutions and better ideas yeah sure and that overthinking as well i think sometimes people will just say oh you know don't worry about the worst case scenario you're you're being dramatic that's never going to happen but i think uh if you have been through something that's been very difficult very traumatic I think often that's when you know you're thinking you're thinking about the worst case scenario because unfortunately for you the worst case scenario has happened before and actually I think that's something that I had to to work on was you know the your biggest fear sometimes has actually already happened and your fear is that something bad's going to happen or it's going to happen again or do you know what I mean you're kind of reliving that loop when actually your biggest yeah for me I realized that I was like wow my biggest fear actually already happened and whether that's you know for some people it might be a loss or for, you know for me it was it was miscarriage but I think really understanding that you know you're not when you're not just you're not crazy you're not just over worrying for the for no reason I think sometimes there is actually really good reason there but just knowing what it is and going oh okay like yes you're afraid you have good right to be afraid because that happened before but it doesn't mean you have to kind of stay stuck there does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah and and actually you know very often even when things don't go to plan or things do go wrong you know you know, we get through them, you know, we survive the challenging, you know, situations that happen. And, and quite often people find, I remember one study that I talked about in the anxiety solution that some, I think it was something like 90% of the time when things go badly, we handle them better than we thought we were going to. So perhaps there is some hope that actually, you know, we can, we can handle things, we do have, you know, strength and resilience within us. And we, you know, we can get through challenging challenging times absolutely so you also talk about confidence and the confidence solution so I think often people mistake being an extrovert for being confident and I know friends who are kind of extroverted but that doesn't mean that they have limitless confidence they still have insecurities they still have self-doubt they're still vulnerable and it's not you know I don't believe it's a personality trait so you know you're either confident or you're not I actually think it's something that you can practice and something you can improve so do you agree that we can learn to be more confident confident and if so how can we practice confidence yes I absolutely agree yeah I talk about this in the confidence solution I I kind of looked at a lot of people who we we assume people are confident when we see them you know behaving in a confident way so I looked at people like Adele who is obviously extremely amazing comes across as really confident but she's talked about you know privately having stage fright even to the point where she would projectile vomit, you know, before her performances. And I looked at people like Michelle Obama, who, you know, so many of us obviously look up to. And, you know, it's easy to assume that she never doubts herself and she feels confident all the time because of the way that she behaves and speaks. But actually she's spoken about things like imposter syndrome and experiencing self-doubt. So I actually think what looks like confidence can quite often be courage and people who seem really confident on the outside still experience doubts and fears and imposter syndrome and still get scared and they're just being brave and being courageous and and giving things a try anyway and so I think we can 
sometimes hold ourselves back if we tell ourselves you know I'm I'm shy I am not a confident person you know she can do that he can do that but that's just not for me and if we're holding ourselves back from from doing that because we don't think we're confident I think that's a big a big shame because actually it is something that we can learn it's something that we can develop as a skill and you know for me personally I used to really really struggle with any kind of public speaking in fact any kind of speaking to people in general I found it hard to speak to one person one-on-one let alone hundreds of people and you know I a few several years ago decided I was going to step by step really try and work on this and grow my confidence in that area and so I did it in a really step-by-step way I started off just meeting more people for coffees and challenging myself and I felt quite scared at first and then it got easier the more I did it as my nervous system started to adjust and realize that you know you don't you don't die when you go and meet someone it you know actually goes <laughs> goes all right most of the time and then I kind of built that up to speaking in front of more people and then you know gradually speaking to hundreds of people at a time and my nervous system kind of adjusted and I learned to trust myself and I learned that I'm not going to I'm not going to die <laughs> even if things don't go well you know mm-hmm. you survive and you know you can try again next time and so that's one of the ways that we can grow our confidence. It's not always very fun to be scared and to, to do it anyway, but that is, I think, a big part of it. We can work on our mindset and we can practice visualization on our own, but a lot of overcoming our fears and, and feeling more confident is just to put ourselves in, in situations where we feel afraid and challenge ourselves and, mm. and try to be as kind to ourselves through that process as possible. Um, and yeah, we can mm. definitely... Can definitely improve our confidence yeah and i like what i like about that example as well is the honesty about you know it doesn't feel good you know it doesn't it doesn't feel good but making that step and saying okay the first time actually didn't go too badly maybe i could do that again because i actually had a conversation recently with somebody who i was encouraging her to reach out to people and kind of build her network and i talk a lot about networks i think it's really it's been really really important to to me and the work that I do and it's helped me to do that so I always say to people you know build your network reach out to people who are like-minded or in a similar industry to you you know how can you skill swap how can you connect with more people and that doesn't always have to be person in in person it could be online it could be through sending someone an email saying oh I loved your book and just whatever but I don't know she really Find, she she just found the concept so difficult because she was like Adrienne it would be so weird for me to just send someone like a DM or an email like this random person just being like hey like you know I want to connect or meet for coffee or like and she just found it so she was kind of like people don't do that like you know yeah. and I was really trying to yeah challenge her to say maybe that's you know and maybe you don't get a response either from every single one but I think how yeah if anyone's listening to that and thinking yeah I'm with her there's no way I would just reach out to a random uh, not a random person but you know a stranger or an author or someone online that I've never met even though I know that there's a synergy there and we potentially could work together or even just I don't know have a great conversation what do you think yeah I I mean I think it, it can feel vulnerable to do that. It can feel scary. It's like you're you're putting yourself out there and you, you are opening opening yourself up to possibly not hearing back from them or getting, you know, quote unquote rejected or something like that. So I think acknowledging that it's a vulnerable thing, but you know, making the decision to do it because it can be so worth it, you know, there are gonna be people who really do wanna meet you for a coffee and who are gonna respond really well to you and you're not gonna get those opportunities unless you try so yeah I mean we've all been rejected we've all been I know I have I've reached out to people and 
not heard back and you know it doesn't feel that great at the time but um there have been plenty of people where I have connected and it's turned into beautiful friendships or you know work relationships and so it makes it it makes it worth it it's definitely worth worth doing that even if it feels a bit scary yeah I agree and I really hope people listening will do that because yeah even with this show for example you know I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years I've you know interviewed 120 or more people and I don't know all of them they are not all my friends you know people say to me you you know everyone I'm like no they're not all my friends sometimes they are which is great but sometimes it is literally me sending an email sending a dm maybe a tweet maybe I meet someone you know like that is how I have booked the guests for this show it's how I continue to build my network and so I really hope anyone listening who yeah wants to build their network for whatever reason personal or professional please you know take our advice and and build your confidence step by step by yeah reaching out and one more thing on this confidence thing I'd love to know Chloe what you think about the idea of like fake it till you make it because personally I have never resonated with that I don't like it I almost actually I reject it I'm like no I think you need to give yourself proof and for me what I mean by proof is you know, we're smart. We know as adults, we know when we're telling ourselves the truth and we know when we're telling ourselves a lie. So the idea of fake it till you make it and just kind of pretend to yourself, I just find very problematic and I'd much rather give myself proof. So for example, if I said, fake it till you make it, Adrienne, you are an incredible ultra endurance runner. Just tell yourself that you are go and run a hundred (laughs) miles. You can do it and fake it till you make it. The reality is, I can't like, but by doing the training and by doing the, you know, okay, 10 miles. Yes, that you can do. Give yourself proof. You can do 10 miles. So then maybe you can do 12. Maybe you can build that up to 20. And eventually it's like proof that you can make it. Whereas the idea, like I said, of fake it till you make it, whether that's in business, whether that's in, uh, you know, a first date or whatever. I just think it's actually, you can't fool yourself surely of the truth. What do you think? Yeah, I love that perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I like to to think about focusing on being brave instead. And being brave is not going into a situation and, and feeling confident. It Being brave, the definition of it is feeling scared to do something and doing it anyway. So, you know, we can all, we can all, um, yeah, yeah, not so much. Yeah, not so much about having to pretend that we're confident when we're not because your nervous system will be telling you otherwise. And instead saying to ourselves, you know what, this is scary and sort of embracing the vulnerability of it, I think, rather than trying to kind of big ourselves up or tell ourselves a lie. I think embracing the vulnerability of it. I think it's really interesting. I was at an event recently where it transpired that everyone had been nervous to go to this event and kind of speak to new people. And you never kind of assume that looking at people we never kind of assume that we kind of assume that everyone has it all together and we're the only ones that are struggling but actually I think there's something powerful in in being more open about how we're feeling so if you are reaching out to someone for example and it feels a bit vulnerable to do so then maybe you can say that maybe you can just be honest about how you're feeling and kind of own that and that might actually help the other person to to feel something so yeah I think it's, it's more for me about owning how we're feeling allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and saying it's okay to be scared. But, you know, if we want to change things in our lives, we want to achieve things, we ha- we're going to be scared sometimes and we just have to, to take action anyway and, and try and be kind to ourselves through that process. 
Mm. Yeah, the kindness piece, I think, is really important and probably one that I need to remember a little bit more, if I'm honest, Chloe, because I can tend to be quite direct and hard on myself. You know, that's just, um, I don't know, it tends to be more my nature than the kind of kind approach. I just am like, come on, Adrian, <laughs> you know, just like get on with it. Um, and when you said then as well around sharing and, you know, that perception that maybe we, we don't think that everyone else in the room is actually kind of thinking the same thing. You know, perception is really important to us. And of course, we don't live our lives alone. We live in communities and we live and work with other people. So we have to be, of course, you know, we have to be able to flex our style and work with people. But what I see a lot in my friendship group, I, mean, I don't want to just stereotype this as being women, but a lot of the women in my life talk a lot about people pleasing and this idea that they, yeah, they're doing things out of obligation or they're constantly doing things to please others, which they don't even want to do. Or they, yeah, they just kind of feel like, oh yeah, but I have to because this or because that or because my mom or because of, you know, the friend. And it's kind of this idea that actually people pleasing is uh, again a personality trait is something that is just who they are you know but I'd really love to know from you the expert really like what is people pleasing why are we doing it so much how can we stop doing it and how can we yeah I guess change those habits if it is a habit for you to just do what everybody else needs you to do instead of what you really want to do yeah such an interesting topic I think I mean it is something that seems to be more prevalent in in women than men I think there's a lot of the messages that we get sent in our culture about women being the nurturers and the ones that help and do the cooking and the cleaning and put other people first. And so we can't help but absorb those messages and kind of internalize that. And I think, I mean, people pleasing is about fear. Again, it's fear of rejection or fear of getting into a confrontation with somebody if we don't you know, keep them happy. And I think it is really linked to confidence if we don't feel like we can deal with another person's response or another person's feelings if they get upset. But it's interesting. I once heard, I think it was Byron Katie, who's an author and she's kind of like a spiritual teacher, but she said that actually people pleasing is a form of manipulation because we're trying to manipulate the other person into liking us. And when I heard that, it kind of, Mm. yeah, it kind of shifted things a bit for me. And what a lot of people will start to notice or may have noticed in themselves when we're people pleasing, we can start to build up a lot of resentment. And that Mm -hmm. kind of resentment, irritation, maybe we avoid the people that we've been people pleasing because we're scared of getting asked to do something or we're not honest with people. You know, we end up, um, yeah, not being in proper integrity with other people because we don't trust ourselves to be able to stand up for ourselves and um, sort of deal with that situation as we'd really want to. So people pleasing might seem like a good idea, but actually there's a lot of, there's a darker side to people pleasing. And, you know, if we want to really be the best, you know, people that we can be for others and ourselves, a lot of that comes from, you know, putting ourselves first and, and being in integrity with ourselves and what's right for us. Because, yeah, if you're resenting your friend because you can't say no to them, that's actually not going to have a positive impact on the friend in the longer term. It's not going to help the friendship or your relationship with your your mum or whoever it is. Yeah, that's a really interesting viewpoint, actually. I hadn't thought of it in that way at all. I, I, I definitely thought of it in terms of 
wanting to say yes because at the end of the day if someone asks you something and they're hopeful that you're going to say yes by saying yes you make them happy and they you know they smile they're like thank you i'm really excited so then i feel like it's kind of yeah human nature to want to appease people do you know what i mean it sounds really simple but like you imagine after the dentist that back in the day it sounds silly but they give the child the sticker or the lolly because they want to like give them a smile like make make it a positive experience and a positive interaction and i think when i think about when i yeah say yes to things i probably don't really want to or when i resent things because I didn't actually I wasn't honest maybe it's because I don't really like confrontation and I think if you're someone who avoids conflict and you don't like confrontation then it's easier to be like yeah sure and then the person's like great wicked thanks Adrienne then then saying no and then yeah maybe there's not necessarily confrontation but you know what I mean I feel like if you yeah if you avoid conflict then you ultimately you're going to be people pleasing forever yeah yeah definitely I think I think a simple one to think about for people who want to change this first is to think about what they would want to start saying no to because so many of us find it really hard to say to say no to things and I mean one thing that they, they can do to start to build up maybe some motivation for that is to think about how much more time energy and money they would have if they started saying no to the things they really didn't want to do you know how many weddings you know have have you been to or have listeners been to, you know, that they didn't really want to go to? How many, you know, cups of coffee have they had with people that they didn't want to do? How many, you know, extra nights have they worked late taking on other people's work because they couldn't say no? So you really start to think of all of that Mm. stuff that you said yes to and all of that time, energy and money that has been potentially kind of wasted. That can start, start to sort of light a bit of a fire, hopefully, of motivation to start to change that and then really tuning into ourselves when we're asked something tuning in taking a moment don't think that you have to reply or answer straight away you know check in with your body and get to know the sensation of is this a yes or a no for me you know when something's a no for me I get this internal feeling of kind of withdrawing or um kind of yeah pulling away and when I start to feel that feeling I know that that's a sign that's perhaps something I don't want to do and maybe I need to think about it or maybe I need to say to that person no on the spot or maybe I'm going to get back to them and and really check in some more about whether it's a yes or a no. But very often we're not very good at knowing what a no really feels like or um, giving ourselves a space to really check in with ourselves and, and figure that out. Yeah. Oh, Chloe, honestly, the word no in itself I feel like if my hairdresser once said to me no is a full sentence is a full you know you don't have to know oh because no maybe that you know you have to follow it up with a reason or with an excuse or with a you don't have to caveat the no but actually I find the word no I think is so powerful you know I talk about yes 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 always yes say yes but actually even just hearing what you what you said at the end I think if I find it difficult to say no and I think maybe if I do then yeah I kind of push it down the road so that's something I'm trying not to do anymore it's like I'd say oh I can't do it right now but maybe I could do it like you know next week or next month and therefore you're just pushing you're just denying that inevitable thing that you just wanted to say no and even like even I think as well with kids you know if you I think no feels so final whereas if you say or maybe or I'll think about it or we can talk about it. You know, you're kind of, again, just putting off the inevitable of saying, no, you can't get Fortnite because you're not, I don't want you to have it. You know, I think that's always what I do as again, as a parent is like, maybe I'll, we'll see. I'll think about it because I don't just want to say the word. No. Why is it so hard to say no? 
I wonder if sometimes saying no could be the kinder thing to the other person in, in a lot of situations because you don't then waste their time or give them false hope. And I know that there's a, a strong temptation, isn't there, when when we want to say no to go into the story of why we can't do something or create some kind of yeah. excuse. Yeah. And that can be a problem because then it, it kind of opens opens up the conversation to a negotiation or, oh, if you can't do this weekend, maybe you can do yes. next weekend. And actually it might be just fairer to everyone involved if we're honest and direct and, and, and say no in the first instance is that if that's what we're really sure is right for us. Mm. Okay, I'm going to practice and I'm going to report back. So listeners, please let us know if you are going to do that too because this is something that I really feel like a lot of people are going to resonate with, Chloe. And it's so difficult. And I think, yeah, I'm going to practice and see how it goes. So get ready <laughs> for me to start saying no. And that's going to be it. Just that. Nothing else. No sentence, just no uh, two-year-olds do it quite well you know they just say no to everything ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So let's move on to talk about the Power Hour because, as you know, the concept already, and you know, everyone knows all about my Power Hour and how I start my day, you know, nice and early, and how I create the first hour of my day that's very intentional so I can just, yeah, have the hour to focus on myself, focus on my goals, and to do something that actually sets the tone for the rest of the day. So, as somebody who I know is very intentional, Chloe, I'm keen to hear what is the first hour of your day like and what time does it typically start? So yeah, I typically wake up at 6am. I feel very lucky to be a morning person. I feel I feel quite sorry for people that are not morning people and that struggle to get out of bed. Uh, my sister's a complete opposite to me. She, she loves to stay up late and work and I can't stay up late to work, but I can do things in the morning. Um, I think mine's probably quite standard. I know a lot of people do this. I get up, meditate and journal and quite often drink a hot chocolate because <laughs> I gave up coffee and I've replaced okay. it with hot chocolate, sugar-free, almond milk, cocoa, cocoa powder. But for some reason that just gets me, I don't know, that gets me in a, in a good headspace to journal to have that. So yeah, I do my transcendental meditation for 20 minutes and then I journal where I'm typically writing about anything that's on my mind, any kind of worries, things that I'm doing that day. And then I do my, my gratitude list where I just write as many specific things that I can think of that I'm grateful for. And then I'll write about my goals or what I want to bring in or what, what I want to, um, yeah, where I want to get to in my life or how I want to feel. So kind of a three-step kind of journaling, journaling process. And do you do that every day? So is that like a Monday to Friday? Is it seven days a week? Is that every day? It, it kind of depends. If I'm feeling more... Yeah, if I'm a bit more stressed, I'll do it more. And if things are going well, I might just do it a couple of times a week. But the meditation thing is is every day without fail. That's just become part of my my routine. And I I organize my life around being able to do my meditation twice a day because it's just so good when you have 
a mind that is prone to, to anxiety. Mm. See, you know, as an expert, I'm sure this is why you're an expert. But when you said then, if I'm stressed or things are, you know, not going so great, I do it more. And if things are great, then I can do it less. That is probably the opposite for most people. Do you, would you agree? So if things are getting stressful, getting hectic, getting busy, that's when they'll say, oh, Adrian, I don't have time right now to like focus on that or to meditate or to journal or to work on that project or to give it more energy and time because I'm stressed and I've got loads going on whereas when everything's good oh, I'm feeling good oh now because I'm feeling good I'm gonna yes do my yoga class or I'm gonna go for that run or I'm gonna read that book because I've got the time and I'm feeling good but actually yeah surely the way that you described it I think is when we are stressed when we are maybe overworked or tired that's when we need to use these tools more than ever right I mean that's just come from my own experience of getting to a point where everything's going great and I start to think to myself oh I don't need to meditate anymore I don't need to journal I'm just going to give that up for a while (laughs) and finding that you know my mental health isn't quite as good in doing that and so actually yeah I tried to reverse it and try to to make sure that those things are in place and I'm I'm quite sense I'm quite kind of yeah I'm tuned into how I'm feeling I'm 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 very self-aware in that way definitely didn't used to be in the past but it's it's come from doing the work that I do I think and so if if things are getting more stressful I see that as a sign to to try to take care of myself more in those times so I'd love to before we go on to the quick fire questions just give people that reminder of where they can find you online Chloe where they can connect with you your podcast your book yeah so I've got a podcast called the karma you podcast all about anxiety and confidence and you can find me online at karma-u.com and I've got loads of free resources and downloads and things for confidence and anxiety on there and my books are The Anxiety Solution and The Confidence Solution. Amazing okay let's jump into the quick fire round so can you tell us one thing that you love something that brings you joy that you bought for £100 or less? So I bought a guitar that was it's not a great guitar but it's bringing me a lot of joy I'm out of the UK at the moment so my nice guitar is in England but I'm playing this guitar it's bringing me a lot of joy singing attempting to sing attempting to play my five chords but it's a good way to relax for me I love that. I learned to play the guitar, Chloe, when I was on tour, when I was in a musical, I was like 21 years old and I bought a guitar and I used to practice every day. I mean, I don't even know if I could remember much of it. There's a few songs, I think, almost like riding a bike, like I'll never forget. But yeah, for about a year, I literally carried a guitar, an acoustic guitar around with me. It feels like so long ago now, but it is nice, right? Just doing that thing where no one, no one can hear you, but you can just, yeah, I think that's a really, really great thing to do. Okay, next one is one book that you recommend everyone should read. So one book that I read recently is called The Sedona Method. Um, and it's about, well, the guy calls it feeling yoga. Basically, it's about feeling your feelings. Mm. And he has this this process that uh, invites people to welcome their feelings. He says that all of us are shoving our feelings down and that's causing a lot of our, you know, problems and stress and tension in our bodies and if we can say to ourselves could I welcome this feeling it actually helps us to process the feelings and actually helps us feel a lot more relaxed so that was a big game changer for me that I read recently can you remind us the title again the Sedona method the Sedona method okay cool okay next one is one piece of advice that you would give to anyone who wants to make a change in their life but they're feeling fear they're feeling afraid to take a risk yeah, one of my teachers, um, 
his name's John over there, he has a saying, he says, uh, all you are is change. And he likes to remind us that every, every part of you is changing all the time. Every cell and atom in your body is changing. This idea of stability and things staying the same is actually just an illusion. Um, and so sometimes if we think about it like that, I think we can start to see change as less of a scary thing. But in terms of kind of making decisions and taking risks, nearly always you can change your mind. And very, very often with with kind of taking risks, we're not going to necessarily know how something's going to pan out unless we do it or unless we try it, unless we take some kind of steps towards it. So you can change your mind. You may not know unless you take action. So see if there's a small step you, you can take towards making a change in your life. Okay, and my final question is, if you had one extra hour each day, what would you use that extra hour to do? I would read fiction, novels again. I don't think I've read read a novel in about 15 years or something. Um, I, read, I read kind of psychology books and books for my podcast guests, but I'm kind of thinking it might be time to read another novel. So yeah, I would do that, I think. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really, really enjoyed this episode and I know that it's going to help a lot of people with these topics because they're questions that come up again and again and again for all of us, especially right now. So thank you so much, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. So good to chat. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review and stay safe and we'll be back next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.